Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Roy Mill, who is CEO and co-founder of Joshu. Um, Roy, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. Good. I, I'm just I'm just doing that awful thing that I've done. I've started the podcast very confidently, said Joshu, and then then didn't double check with you. That's how you pronounce it. So if I started right, we're in the... Um... I think so. That's how we pronounce it. Yes. <laughs> That's a good place to start. <laughs> well, before we dive in, um, well, it'd be really great if you could introduce yourself and obviously the Joshu business and what it is that you guys do. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Roy Mill. I'm co-founder and CEO here at Joshu. Um, Joshu is a platform for insurance product development and distribution. Um, I'm sure we'll go deeper into that uh, in detail, but at, at a high level, we're helping insurance product owners uh, build and deploy uh, new insurance products for digital distribution. Uh, that's in a very short elevator pitch, you know, length. Yeah, but that's, I think those are always the best ones. I've always had a bit of a thing that if it takes too long to explain, it's, right. It's, it's either not shape. It's, it's not got product market fit because you need it needs to roll off the tongue, right? It needs to just go bam, and you need to understand it. Um, uh, we, we've we've had a few pitches for work that we've had to sort of go. Well, we're a bit early, and you go, yeah, you're definitely early because I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that I understand everything, but I always think the simpler the better. Um, right. You know, that, that's always the way. So. I've got to start with your background, Roy, because I think it's a really interesting one, particularly in the context of, um, I think, talking about flexibility of skill sets to move between industries. I think, you know, because as someone that works in the talent side of the equation, I'm always interested in that because I think insurance and, um, and and now insure tech has sometimes been reluctant to pull people in, but obviously your background isn't linear into the insurance industry. Um, and then of course, you've been working at one of the most preeminent insure techs um, globally. So that's, that's really interesting. So um, my understanding is you used to work at Ancestry, didn't you? Um, I, did, I did, yes. Yeah, and then and then and then into At Bay, um, and, and so talk to me about that. So you come from the product side of the house. Is is that is that the kind of predominant part of your experience? I do. I, I mean, it's even. I'm, I'm kind of. Sometimes I describe myself as a migrant, both geographically and professionally. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm from Israel originally. I moved in 2008 to the Bay Area uh, for school. I was supposed to be an ec economist. I, I am trained as an economist and I was supposed to become a professor of economics and kind of found myself, uh, you know, for personal and other reasons, found myself uh, going out of academia and looking for other roles and mm -hmm. found a job with, with Ancestry. Um, and uh, this is where I kind of honed in some of my more technical and analytical skills and kind of added a lot of uh, user experience and product design uh, parts uh, to my skill set. I was there for about four years on the family history side and the DNA data side. Mm -hmm. And then uh, some friends from Israel called and said, hey, we have a new startup. Uh, we are looking for someone to lead the product management side um, and would you be interested? And I kind of, I wasn't planning on going into insurance. I thought insurance was boring, uh, but I knew them. Uh, said, let's talk and, you know, found a great group of people and an actually really interesting problem to to take on. Uh, so I got very excited and, you know, joined uh, quite early. My co-founder in Joshu Shimi is, was kind of one of the first employees, not the first employees there. I joined about a year after um, the company started, but before we got the reinsurance capacity, all that uh, good stuff 
Um, yeah, so, you know, at Bay is where we, both of us learn about insurance and kind of uh, tackle the, the basic problem uh, that Joshua is, is tackling today. We learn how, uh, you know, complex and slow it is to take a product to market, an insurance product. One thing I learned is that product management for an insured tech that sells insurance, there are two types of, there's the insurance product and there's the tech product, kind of building the tech stack for the full stack kind of MGA uh, that sells insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, you know, there's some, we're actually selling the insurance product, but without the tech folks, without the IT, there's a lot of times the title that uh, we were given, um, it's very hard to operationalize your, your ambitions, your dreams, your vision. You have to build a tech stack to, to get that. And we learned firsthand how complex it, it, it could be. And so we saw a bigger opportunity than just building the tech stack for one insurance players, insurer, and saying, hey, this is probably a wider problem than just uh, ad bay and probably even harder in larger organizations with, uh, you know, um, with more traditional kind of ways of doing things. And we said, hey, let's, let's try to productize what we did and let's try to build a platform that will allow anyone uh, who's an insurance professional understands distribution and risk and coverage and all that good stuff, but doesn't have the UX and, uh, you know, web application development chops to take it to the digital world and get that for them out of the box. That's kind of, mm. uh, yeah, a kind of long-winded uh, story and a long-winded uh, career so far to get to where, where I am and where we are. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things I want to unpack there. So just, you know, let's, let's get a bit deeper into this because what I was fascinated by and I thought was quite <laughs> excited about because um, uh, one of your colleagues was very, um, uh, very kind actually to run me through the sort of pitch deck. And we, we don't really see that as in, and, uh, you know, to potential customers. And sometimes we kind of, we have technology focused businesses on and, and we don't run through that. And you're kind of, you're, my imagination is filling in the gaps, um, but because I don't have a tech background, I, I, I sometimes wonder how far my imagination is from the real, realization. But what what really kind of got me excited was the distillation, and I know this is on the website that essentially, if I've got a, if I can build you a rating engine in an Excel spreadsheet, you can provide me a tech stack to kind of roll out a product. Is is that oversimplifying it, or is, it, is that no? Kind of this is this is great. This is an, a lot of the traditional way of doing this. You know building an insurance product for digital distribution mm -hmm. or the way most um, folks are doing it, you know, before Joshu is there's, it's kind of a three floor building that you build. The first floor is the insurance product. You go and, you know, you design what information you want to get, and then you design the rules, usually in Excel, unless it's an ISO product and, mm -hmm. you know, all the rating bureaus and the standardized, but especially in specialty. And a lot of times, even in standard products, there's proprietary rating that the actuaries are giving you and you have an Excel uh, that manifests all these rules and then a bunch of documents to generate for you know, the policy, the endorsements and all that. And so once you have that first floor, the second floor is usually let's get a policy admin system. Let's build it, you know, a data model and let's build kind of uh, the, the underwriter tools to uh, go and underwrite. And then only in the third floor is, okay, let's build a portal that connects to this policy admin system. And this process is really long and not just long, but it also breaks kind of the ownership of the insurance product manager. Before, when everything was manual and PDF or fax machine, uh, or I'm not sure what used to be uh, back in the day, um, you know, the the underwriters used to do the whole thing. You know, decided the rules and go ahead and, and underwrite. 
when people started building automatically underwriting machines, you had to get in and, uh, you know, an engineer to build it for you. And then any change you wanted to make, any just to build it, you have to kind of always relay that information to someone else. And that takes a long time and the back and forth is just sometimes quite frustrating. So mm -hmm. the whole vision for us was let's give the insurance professional that product owner, head of product X for an, a carrier or the chief underwriting officer for a new MGA, give them this tool that with a very moderate learning curve uh, from the convenience of their laptops, they'll be able to get a full end-to-end -end portal or quote and buy an API. They don't need to worry about building this. You see this also, the thing is at Bay, we, uh, some of what we built there in the tech stack was related to re rethinking underwriting and using some of the cyber tools, but maybe 80 or 90% of what we built ended up being distribution technology. So the portal, you know, white label portal or an API and the system for the underwriters and when you think about it, a lot of the competitors and in other insured techs, they're building a very similar apply quote buying flow. What changes is what questions are you asking? What's your model? What paper are you writing on? And these are the things that became a configuration on our platform. You can just set it like a settings uh, in our builder. And then the portal and everything else that is taken care uh, is taken care for you. Mm. take care of for you sorry it's still early in the morning <laughs> <laughs> um i um are you specifically targeting sort of, sort of people that are rolling out digital mgas or are you are you targeting like carriers and sort of allowing them to digitize their products or is it everything in between it's uh both uh and i think there's the way we treat we see the different um prospects are kind of two main segments. There are new players versus established players. Uh, that's the main differentiation because new players come with, you know, green, you know, clean slate, uh, greenfield, and they need a system to take their idea and make it into a reality. Um, that's one type. Usually they're MGAs because it's very hard to start as a, as a new carrier and kind of much faster to start as an MGA. And by the way, these can be tech native venture backed uh, types of insured techs, but also a lot of brokers or underwriters who specialize in the field and decide, hey, we have a new take on this or we have a, a, a nice distribution channel. Uh, let's let's try to build an MGA out of. Um, and then the second end of this is like carriers who already have or established players, and these can be carriers or MGAs. They already have a tech stack. They already are selling. Um, and for them, the way we position Joshua is a, is a place for experimentation, at least to start with, because mm -hmm. it's so easy and for insurance professionals to be independent, you know, IT departments are very busy with keeping the, you know, keeping, maintaining the systems, making sure they're integrated. A lot of carriers are in the midst of a very long digital transformation process, and it leaves very little room for insurance product innovation, right? I want to get that, you know, management liability product. I want to get that um, any type of product that you want that's outside of the quickly commoditized uh, standard uh, products, it's very hard to get the resources from the IT department to get, you know, not even build it completely. It would be nice to get some feedback from the market and people to tell you, hey, if I had something like this, yes, I would definitely send my business to you. How, quick, how fast can you get it? Um, mm -hmm. So we're seeing both 
new players we're seeing both you know and and, and the more established players obviously with the new players there's a sense of urgency in a shorter sales cycle because they need something very quickly to get off the ground mm. it's really interesting because i you know we're a search firm that specializes in insurtech uh, recruitment but you know for a large part of my career i was i was doing very traditional um, underwriting or broking um, talent and a lot of the work we did was people would come to us and say we want to put together an mga um we try and help them find capacity or we try and find help them find an investor and one of the massive stumbling blocks was you know oh we've got this idea but there was just a huge like they knew everything about insurance they knew everything about their kind of line of business but where there was a huge gap was that where's the right tech stack how do we digitize this how do we how do we basically make our vision come true and i think that for me was such that was the obvious win and that's notwithstanding obviously talking about carriers that are trying to kind of compete and almost like the fact that you're outside of their internal stack you know we've talked about this on this podcast several times in that the, the the talent within insurance businesses and this is a lazy very generic thing I'm about to say but it's generally about keeping the current infrastructure active and 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 working so to kind of operate with new digital you know api ready um products is quite a challenge because essentially you've got two different sets of skill sets so do you need you know notwithstanding building an internal team which has a different kind of um talent profile different skills it's so much better to kind of go okay we're going to test these new products out if we've hired an, a new team to do it, then that's a huge cost and they, would, they might have to go if the product doesn't work. But the opportunity to kind of get a Joe shoe and go, right, let's, let's spin up a new product quickly, effectively, um, is hugely advantageous. So yeah, it's, it's a really exciting thing um, for me. Um, but I've got to ask you, the one thing that I wanted to ask you, you know, at Bay is famously a very successful uh, InsureTech. It's been on an absolute huge burn. We've had, uh, we've, we've had them on the podcast. We had a lovely conversation. Um, uh, why that that's like that seems like the crazy time to leave because one one <laughs> imagines you know you'd have had good options uh you both had senior roles i think you were vp of products and your your colleague was was cto or vp of technology or, mm-hmm. um why 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 was now the time was it too 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 good an opportunity to ignore did you uh, are we going to un- uncover some scandal Do you? <laughs> <laughs> of course on the podcast yeah um, of course yeah <laughs> no scandals no and in hindsight it was terrible timing right because two months <laughs> we left in january of 2020 didn't you know not knowing that the world is going to go upside down two months since you know right after that mm-hmm. um and to us it was kind of Abbey was in this inflection point. We were there since very early on and people now they see a very successful business and it is, but it took time to get there. And we actually had to launch the product twice um, and kind of shift strategies until you find that product market fit. And to me and uh, to Shimi, my co-founder, both of us, the exciting part is the zero to one. Let's build something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And Joshua is also kind of a, a tribute to that for insurance people. If you have a dream and it's zero right now, you can get to one, let's get to one, right? Much faster than we did before. Mm-hmm. And AdBay was going into this as it was, you know, found traction or kind of two ways. One is going deeper on the insurance, become an insurance company. 
um, they are an insurance company, but kind of there's always this, you know, with insured techs, are we a tech company? Are we an insurance company? Well, as you scale, you have to become more of the insurance company. There was also another uh, aspect of cyber, maybe going deeper into cyber, but the, you know, the tech and the product that we were building, that felt like we we're getting into a, you know, we've solved the basic problems. Obviously, there are more stuff to do, and they have a great tech team and, you know, uh, kept working since then. But for us, we wanted to, um, again, saw this big opportunity um, beyond um, being an internal tech team for an insurance or insurer and, and start a software selling business for the industry as a whole. Um, and it's exciting, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's a roller coaster in a lot of senses, you know, um, and, um, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, definitely I, I was joking about in hindsight, not being the greatest timing, but I'm, I'm really lucky and kind of the ability to fundraise and to build this team around us, mm. um, is truly like, um, an amazing experience. I'm still, you know, it's, um, a lot of hard moments as well, but in the, um, uh, you know, in the sum of things, it's it's pretty amazing that we're we've come this way and kind of also looking at what we can build with the business. So, I'm uh, mm. pretty excited for us ahead. Yeah, I, I I love that part of the journey. I mean, we 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 specifically focus on kind of seed to series B, really. Like we we like those earlier stage businesses for exactly that. The kind of we like we like helping people build the zero to one part of it. And and I wouldn't say we lose interest at the end, but it's, it's just when when the more established kind of you know when you're rotating roles and you you know you're filling a role where someone's left with the, with the same it's not as not as exciting as saying you know we want to grow the team what do we you know who do we take in what how do we prioritize do we do we bulk up our product team or do we product bulk up, bulk up our sort of sales team and i think making those decisions is super interesting um which you you mentioned the covid there and the timing of the kind of launch how did that did that change anything for you? Did 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 it cause you? Was there any pivoting? Was there any kind of changing of of, of, of strategy because of the timing of uh, yeah launching mid pandemic or setting up mid pandemic? Yeah, um, I think um, there wasn't a pivot in the product. I think we did iterate a lot. I'm not sure if it's the pandemic or just a long uh, search. It's it's. I can blame, it's at least an excuse for why it took us so long. So I have that and I can blame the pandemic, not my fundraising skills. But sure. I think, yeah, the story you always iterate on, uh, you understand it more as you as you go along. We kind of focused on fundraising, but also building a proof of concept and talking to more people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, um, that was uh, really helpful. Uh, but no, there's not, not, not a pivot. It was just, I think it's the, the, in the end, sometimes I think the year later, people got, it felt like it was much easier to get funding. I know that a lot of people, good, great people did not get funding. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, but still I think it's good that we, it took us some uh, while before we got to Blumberg and before we found this, uh, the, the, the investors we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of helped us uh, really distill what we're trying to do um, and the vision here. Um, and, you know, starting in 2021 as a funded company, um, still in the pandemic, obviously there's also the angle of remote working, uh, that, um, is kind of, we have a branch in Tel Aviv and Rashimi and, uh, and they have an office and everyone is kind of physically there. Uh, but here in the U S, um, it was just mid pandemic and nobody, even if you were here in the Bay area, we would have worked remotely. 
Um, but then it also allows uh, allowed us to cast a wider net in terms of talent uh, and finding it. And for us, especially, as you mentioned, in the early stages, you're looking for people and kind of disciplines that will complement what you have. Um, and the Bay Area has great technical talent, but limited insurance talent. And it was great to kind of uh, find um, talent in other places. Mm. But Bay Area has very expensive technical talent as well. That's one of the challenges. Very expensive everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite, quite. I am. Um, I'm interested as to sort of going back to the you know your experience. Obviously, you you know at Bay was where you sort of really got under the skin of insurance. So obviously, you learned that. But I'm wondering how like your experience at that point and and going back to ancestry as well as it sort of informed your role as a founder, like. What are those kind of key lessons, you know, before you kind of found, because this is your first business that you've co-founded, is that, is that correct? correct. So what, what do you think are the sort of key things you've brought through those experiences working at those companies that you kind of really stick with today? Yeah, again, I think this uh, migrant feeling uh, that you have in both geographically and professionally, a migrant is kind of a bridge between two where they came from and where they are going to mm-hmm. um, and gives them this, um, or another way, professionally, also you come from one discipline and you go into this new, I was an economist, right? An academic is something you go into a corporate that has, you know, selling family history tools. You know, what do you do there? You have to pick up some new things that you didn't know before, but you also can bring to the table something that the rest of the team does not have. You know, with Ancestry, it was a, a role in the storytelling context and narrative uh, team basically take structured data and turn it into stories. And, uh, you know, and as an economist, I was actually studying historical censuses and kind of knew the data pretty well to come up with like, if it's statistical inferences or other ways to kind of bring that data and make it into a story. And that was, you know, at some point my boss was like saying, um, it feels like you were born for this role. Right, because how can else can you find someone who knows some data and some software development and some history? There's usually not a lot of people who span those things, and I ended up not being. You know, there are more. I, I want to believe that the roles that I've done later, I have a good match with them. Not you know as as good as the role at Ancestry, but I think you need to bring um, those uh, skills from before, but also have the plasticity to kind of reshape them and reapply them in different ways and not be super rigid about how you did things and and learn from what you do and i think it's also important for us to hire people from those diverse backgrounds Mm. you know because if we get the same people who got through the same journey uh we're not really challenging ourselves and we're not bringing new skill sets to the table uh so you know the the, some examples i guess uh, from as an economist, you learn, it's kind of like a social mathematician. You're looking at a social problem, a very soft kind of not very well-defined problem. And you try to simplify it and you try to generalize and distill this one core insight about it. You're not gonna explain everything, but it's one core insight. And in, in product management and in business, it served me really well to kind of try to apply the same kind of very basic skills, but completely differently applied. This is not writing a paper. This is not running a regression. It's a different way, but there are some very kind of, and it's a unique point of view because there's not a lot of other economists that become product managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and from Ancestry, you, you might think there's just nothing between Ancestry and insurance, but 
family history and insurance, both of them have a lot of data that's structured and unstructured and um, you know, both from a system perspective and a product design perspective, you're both at Ancestry and with Joshu, we're building a system that will be a power tool for the experts, but also simple enough for new entrants to come in and, and be able to do things without a lot of training. Um, our product team, not just myself, you know, the, the, our head of design, head of product, both of them work with me at Ancestry and I brought them in and they're bringing a lot of great kind of uh, product design uh, skills and, and experience from there. And AdBay, obviously, you know, just the insurance and the early stage startup experience really helped uh, kind of um, understand how I want to build the business, take on some of the good things, change some of the bad things, and kind of reinvent ourselves um, as Joshi. Mm. I, I think that I love that phrase of um, essentially the immigrant migrant. Uh, the immigrant mindset of, of kind of being because I was just thinking I was reflecting myself because you know I've, I've, I've sort of made this story arc of my my career of being sort of an insurance guy and then working insurance search for you know a decade and then and then falling into insurtech and, and the, the what I love about insurtech for me is that I know enough about insurance so I can have the conversations but it's you know, tech was alien, was very alien to me. So I could ask, if I'm being honest, I could ask the stupid question. And 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 we know there's no such thing as a stupid question, but sometimes it's inherently obvious. And then and then what you find is that you ask the what you think is the obvious question, and it's not an obvious question, but it's mm -hmm. obvious to you because you're bringing a different mindset and a different background into the into the equation. And I love that with my team. I, I, I make a big thing of hiring people from you know all sorts of diverse backgrounds, and and I love that sort of you explain things. And if I get loads of recruitment professionals in a room and we start explaining, we'll all agree because that's the way things are done. And then you get someone from outside that environment and they ask a question. It always sits you, uh, you know, back on your feet going, yeah, why do we do it that way? I, I don't know. Maybe there is a better way. And it's that sort of healthy level of questioning about the thing that you're doing. That I think so important because I think insurance, as I'd already mentioned, I think it's been quite bad historically at bringing new talent in and a little bit of that is because as to, to, to reiterate your point everyone goes isn't that a bit boring is <laughs> and it's only when you start to unpack it you're like if you like big problems that are global and are at scale and are pervasive in every part of life insurance is a great problem to solve it's, it's only when you get under the skin of it you really start start to see that um uh, i wanted I think, yeah, yeah sorry please no no please i i think we need to do a better job of, of um, attracting talent from outside the industry mm. and, um, and just, uh, I, and also within the industry, I think there's a lot of people find it hard to go from, you know, an established carrier to an early stage startup. Mm. Um, I think it's better than before because they've seen some of the great success stories of, you know, companies founded in 2016, 2017, there's some interest in insure tech. And uh, I think for us, it's a big challenge to attract from all these places, make sure that also, again, it's not just bringing that different point of view, but also being able to then create this environment where people are comfortable enough sharing these views and working with each other and challenging each other, but not too much to kind of uh, break the cord, uh, mm. cut the cord, um, but enough for them to be really kind of mutually uh, productive and, and kind of um, making each other better than just working in separation.
Mm. I think, yeah, insurance is definitely the sort of evolution rather than, re, you know, revolution type environment because, you know, the, there was a lot of kind of very bullish marketing that went on in, in the sort of early stage of InsureTech about it being broken. And it, it was kind of always the wrong message in, in that it's a regulated industry. So you can't break it and rebuild it. it, it, it that's that's the, the regulated environment doesn't allow for that. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a you can't have a, a revolutionary goal. Like there can be a revolutionary target, but that just might have to be five years away. And you might have to evolve the way there via tech or kind of product distribution or, or whatever. But um, it, it, I, I think it's interesting for me now that most of the kind of really exciting insure techs that I see come coming through whether, whether that be SaaS or whether that be you know digital led insurers are much more collaborative with the with the current existing marketplace and with the incumbent insurers and, and brokers and kind of less kind of combative and I think that's I don't know if you, you observed that kind of shift that that's something that I've just kind of noticed over the period of time I've been working in InsureTech. For sure yeah I think uh, a lot of those there's the Smith or um, mythos, probably the right word to use that about kind of um, disrupting. And it can be taken in, in various ways. And I think uh, it's really important to disrupt in a, under a certain certain constraints. Uh, that's the challenge here. So the regulatory environment is our, you know, you have those constraints and learn about them. I mean, one of the things you're not aware, you need this grain of ignorance to start a business in insurance, right? You don't want to know all the details because that will be just too scary. Yeah. Uh, you, wanna, uh, you know, it's like getting a travel book and then the, in the beginning, they have all the uh, uh, warnings about what not to do when you travel to a new place and you're like, okay, you know what? I'll just go to a different destination. <laughs> um, and it's the same thing with founding a business and, you know, I spoke with other founders. You need to have that a little bit of ignorance into what you're going into. But then again, with bringing people from the industry and understanding more of, you know, you see a lot of kind of, there's, it's, I think one of the challenges is it's hard to know if the way things are done is because there's some um, kind of regulatory reasons that nobody even remembers, or it's mm. because that's how we've done this for ages now. And, and mm. you know, sometimes you take out this uh, old gate that you see in the, only to discover that three miles ahead, there's there's a beast and that's why they put the gate there right um, so that's uh, it that's one I'm, of the gonna, I'm gonna borrow that analogy it's a really good yeah. one i um yeah because i think there's a lot of that there was, there was definitely a lot of kind of you've got to know enough to be dangerous and and if you, if you can avoid the obvious pitfalls then you know that's 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 useful but um i think i think the, the ignorance of launching a business um is uh yeah being ignorant before you make the decision once you make the decision now work on learning everything and there's no way back so yeah you just keep on you know fighting yeah be, be ignorant enough to be brave um, <laughs> or stupid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the, um, I want to talk about funding. Obviously, you've been through the funding rounds. You were, you were, you were, you were being slightly self-critical of yourself earlier for taking too long to do it, but uh, I know what an arduous journey is it. But I was interested to know, you, you basically had a ringside seat for a kind of, you know, a venture-backed business in at bay and 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 obviously went through several funding rounds and and now you, you've had to lead a business through that process was there anything that surprised you you know now that you were kind of responsible and, and at, at the front of that 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 you weren't aware of going in talking about that sort of ignorance versus kind of learnings phase that you might have gone through there 
Yeah, for sure. Well, it, it was uh, not a ringside, but more of an in-ring uh, part mm -hmm. of the business itself. <laughs> the ringside, I think the part that I didn't have uh, visibility into, obviously, as a non-founder, was the investor relations part of this and how do you actually go and fundraise? I wasn't there when the, you know, they had, um, you know, and, and AdBay was from the sideline a benchmark for us when we went fundraising and we thought, you know, they had four co-founders there uh, with, I, I don't think any of them uh, had experience in insurance and mm -hmm. based on a slide deck, they raised from a very leading uh, um, fund uh, in Tel Aviv. And we thought it's gonna, well, for us with, three or four years in insurance, we're experts. We know everything there is to know about insurance. Now it's going to be even easier. Uh, so I was, I flew to Tel Aviv in February of 2020. And, you know, we, we thought maybe I'm going to come back with a term sheet. And that was definitely not the case. Uh, so I think the, you know, definitely surprised by how long it took us uh, to fundraise. I was thinking it's going to be shorter. Um, and, I think also there's something about a founder and being when you're just two founders starting a company, you're doing everything. It's not just mm -hmm. product management, it's product, but it's also sales. Uh, a lot of it, I even had for a very short while kind of contributed to some of the code base, but I, I think the engineers are now still cursing me for, for touching <laughs> that. Uh, they need to clean it up. Uh, but I think, you know, the sales, I would, I did not perceive myself as a salesperson. And I think for other people who are thinking into going into, you know, founding a business first, think twice, but, um, but I think just you're constantly selling and you start selling to investors, um, and, and, and prospects and, and employees. Um, I think the, the main thing that, you know, employees and investors, I kind of, I think, um, uh, I could do that. But the selling to prospects somehow felt like I become this again. We were talking about insurance being perceived as boring, sales is being perceived as sleazy mm -hmm. and genuine, and it just didn't fit my own perception of myself. So, you yeah. know, I wouldn't say that I'm the base, you know, best sales person. Um, there are definitely parts where I'm being too genuine when I talk to prospects about what features we have and what features we don't have. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in the long run, I think it just, uh, you know, I, I bring my uh, kind of way of doing this. And uh, as we scale, we bring in more people to the sales team and, um, you know, improving that. Uh, uh, but yeah, as, as a founder, I think that's one of the, the time it took. I, there's also this, I, I, I think we, I changed my perception of what am I trying to do here in fundraising? When people start fundraising, they think, you have to, if, if an investor hears your story and is not convinced, you have to convince them. And at some point I shifted and said, no, it's not about convincing. You don't need to convince everyone. You actually, you know, Peter Thiel has this book, Zero to One. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend reading, skip mm -hmm. the first chapter about monopolies being good for society. Uh, but, <laughs> if, if, you know, monopolies are great for the monopolists. And then go into the rest of it, which says you have to have a contrarian view on uh, the world and that contrarian view will make you, you know, if, if you're turn, you, you turn out to be correct and the others turn out to be incorrect, gives you a great advantage. Mm. And this early stage fundraising is not about convincing everyone that yes, you have a great business. It's about keep, you know, pulling those uh, uh, balls out of the urn. Remember from statistics class, you're just randomly selecting folks and then get to the point where you talk to an investor who listens to your pitch and says, you know what? Yes, I get it. I'm, I'm with you on the same page. Um, mm. That's the mm. process of fundraising. It's not about convincing everyone. You, you hear a lot of no's, 
uh, even some of the, you know, I was talking to some of the um, other InsureTech founders, very successful ones who said, you have to talk to 100 uh, or more investors until you hear your first yes. Mm-hmm. which, you know, there's this quote that is misattributed, I think, to Einstein about the definition of insanity. You yeah. do the same thing again and again and expect different results, but there's a little bit of that in fundraising. You are, you are supposed, you're expected to talk to so many investors, and then, yes, at some point, you'll find the one who shares your belief in, mm. in view of the world. Mm. I think, I think that, 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 that journey in fundraising is, is so similar to, yeah, sales. I mean, because I think about what, you know, it was a couple of things. I, I remember having a conversation with my uncle when I said I was going to set up on my own. And my uncle's a successful businessman. And he said, Alex, as soon as you start a business, you're a salesman, whether you like it or not, because you're always right. having to sell. And I think that's such a good, like, um, it's such a good truism. And then the second thing about sales is that one, it's weird that actually there's two things. One, it's really strange that sales has this kind of like sleazy image. And you're like, if no one sold anything, like none of us would be here, you know? Like, but 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 that's always been my my perception of sales. Once I got my head around it, it was like it's not about p- changing your pitch or trying to convince people that are not convinced. It's just about finding the people that want to buy. You know that there are unfortunately several people that do exactly what I do. And really, it's about do they do, do people want to work with me from a recruitment perspective or 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 one of my competitors? And there's not a lot I can do about that. We're, we're we're generally speaking offering a fairly homogenous product. It's 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 just who's going to kind of gel with me better than someone else. And and so it's not about trying to convince these people. It's about finding the people that are already kind of in the right space. So and it's it's really it sounds like fundraising is an echo of that it's 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 just finding the right um the right investor for you obviously shaping things where where relevant but i remember that um i can't remember who it was but someone said you need to learn enough from each pitch but not kind of know what your non-negotiables are you if you changed it for every investor then you'd end up with something that doesn't even look like your original idea so it's a really um Interesting problem. Um, I'm really conscious of time. So I, w- I wanted to ask you a question about, um, you know, innovation. You're offering, you know, carriers and MGAs, like this full suite of digital tools needing to kind of bring their commercial insurance businesses, you know, online or create new products live. So innovation is like a, the core of what you do. I was wondering how you go about building, you've gone about building your team and like an innovative culture at, at Joshu. Like, how do you kind of keep that culture of innovation alive? Awesome question. You know, we want to keep innovation, you know, help innovation with for clients, but also be innovative internally. And and I think there's kind of two parts of it. One is the selection part or who's in the team and who's not in the team. Uh, So attracting talent. um, It's really, especially in the age of quiet quitting and the great resignation is like, how do we get people who are committed? How do we get people who uh, can challenge, again, as I said, can bring in expertise, but also not the same expertise, but challenge us and kind of move us in a, you know, to think about things in a, in a different light so that we pick the, the best way forward. And, and that has been a challenge, especially in 2021, again, fundraising in InsurTech, in Tel Aviv, but you know, globally um, has been amazing. And that kind of the, the, the labor market for employers was was really hard to find good talent because people found, um, especially for early stage and, and mm-hmm. round sizes of late 2020 weren't that weren't that that great. And mm-hmm. uh, today it's much not much. It's somewhat easier uh, to find, but I think still 
it's just really hard to find and to know and to screen for the things that you're looking for. But it's really important that the composition of the team will be a, a cohesive, um, you know, committed uh, uh, group of people who are who's also also talented. I mean, there's there's people have different levels of skills and and kind of um, you know, think about the bell curve and, and kind of the distribution. All the startups, all the companies want to get the top, you know, five percent or or more. Um, it's really hard to find those people. It's really hard to compete for them and to give them, you know, why should they work for us and not for someone else? They're thinking about how do I write the next chapter in my career book and why is Joshu the right place to be at? And we, you know, it's on us to make sure that we bring the best people. Mm. Once they're in, I think the second part is how to create a culture that, you know, fosters this collaboration and innovation, as you mentioned. And, and for us, there are a few, um, you know, and, and, and you need to also not do very long culture sessions. And it's, it needs to be a very short message that you can repeat um, that says, what do we foster? Not just the message, but also our behavior has to match it. We can't say, hey, we uh, like transparency and then hide everything from everyone. Um, so for us, the three things that I kept saying and, uh, and Chimi and I were thinking about as we were starting Joshua is transparency, empowerment, and empathy. And mm. Uh, we added commitment since then. Again, uh, uh, I think it's it's really important for us to get people who are committed to building something new. But I think transparency is really important for us because that fosters, you know, uh, and we're trying and from, from what we understand, the employees are really happy with the level of transparency that they see from us. Um, and it's it's something, it's not just transparency is not hiding stuff. You need to actively communicate what you're doing, especially in a remote team. Uh, it's not just sit in your own kind of computer and, and for, you know, nobody, I won't hide anything, but it's, it's really important. We, you know, write a few lines every week on what you're working on today and everyone shares that channel and everyone sees what's going on in other parts of the company. Um, mm -hmm. Empowerment, really important for us that people, we set them up for success and allow them to voice what, you know, what can they see? Can we do different and listen to them? I think it's having that humility we're the founders and we're, you know, management and things like that, but we don't know everything and, you know, mm -hmm. hiring people who complement our skills, but also then listen to them. It's easy to bring in someone from the industry and then decide, no, we're still going to disrupt everything and we're, you know, going to go our ways. I think um, these are some of the things it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, also something that's hard to measure. Uh, yeah. to know are we fostering a, a, a an innovative environment or are we you know going stale on mm. how we built the organization and how we build the culture mm. i mean I, I would be biased and say this but i do think it's you know 90 percent of it's hiring the right people in the first place and, and for and, sure it's yeah, hard to that, change people once they're in uh so yeah. attracting the right talent is is important attracting and then if something doesn't work it's you know we have to uh say goodbye to some uh, employees if, if things don't work as as we expected because you never it's always a noisy process and and you sometimes uh realize that's not a good match mm -hmm. and and then the other bit as well is knowing what you're getting you know the amount of times this this happens less in in in, in sort of startup businesses but certainly one of the challenges that i've had in the past is working with like incumbent carriers is that you know we want someone really different we want someone really innovative we want someone who's going to be a change agent and then you bring them that person and there's such a clash because that person has to be really constrained and there's not transparency and honesty and um yeah so it's it's 
it's you have to and that's why I thought I thought your comment was brilliant about keeping it very simple you know if you're going to have a tagline of culture or if you're going to have sort of build things in about culture it has to be simple it has to be really distilled down because anything over complex it just becomes words on a wall you know it becomes these slogans you put on every meeting room and right. and, and it becomes meaningless so um it's hard to live those things um uh i i'm really sort of a yeah i say conscious of time but i did want to ask you this because i think you've got really sort of um innovative view on the insurance market you know because of your journey to date and, and because of because of the outside mindset i think that's particularly interesting yeah we talk about waves of insure tech and and we've seen the kind of you know the 2016s and, and some of the rise and fall of some of those um is there an area of insure tech that you outside of your own business that you think's interesting is there kind of a wave coming or or maybe even place that you've spotted you think's a bit under invested in uh, in the space that you think we're going to see a lot of kind of growth in that next wave of insure tech yeah, great question. Ask an economist to predict the future. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure about the future, but trends that I do see now forming, and it, it, you can, there's the, there's the, InsureTech has two flavors. One is, you know, the full stack, we're selling insurance, and we have technology, uh, you know, the Lemonades and Hippos and AdBase uh, coalitions. Um, and there's the other side of tech for insurance companies. And I think the first the full stack folks, I think I, I see a kind of blurring of the line between what is, are you an insured tech or insurance company? Are you kind of a tech based or especially with tools like Joshu, a nice plugin, even, you know, if you're, if you're an insurer, that's, you know, you don't bring all that tech uh, workforce, you can still be and look as techy as any kind of venture backed uh, insured tech. But I think, you know, there are other tools and there's just, I think more people, it used to be the case that people from tech did not know anything about insurance and people from insurance did not know anything about tech. And I think there's been enough cross-pollination that you have a lot of folks or, you know, ex-coalition, ex-adbay teams who built new startups and kind of uh, there's more people who come from both uh, sides or have enough um, uh, experience there. Um, I think for the other side of the, of the house, for the tech for insurers, I realize in a lot of vendors, I think it's going to be more of kind of a connected future where you realize you're not building your own system in kind of isolation of what else is going on with mm -hmm. open APIs and everything. You know, there's a lot of startups who focus on a, maybe a narrow problem, but it's still because insurance is so huge, even if it's a narrow problem, it's a big need and you can mm -hmm. build a great startup around it. And you have to kind of collect those integrations with all these tools in order to solve the problem. It's really hard for one startup to do the whole thing. So I think we'll see a lot of kind of combinations overlap between uh, and integrations between uh, some of these tools. So really excited to see like who's gonna win the race or what types of combinations uh, insurers will make between all those startups uh, in you know how they kind of piece together those pieces of the puzzle, their tech puzzle. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the sort of collaborative environment of the tech space is, uh, in insurance is, is really interesting. And uh, yeah, and on that on on that note, I think um, we'll probably see everyone at ITC. Um, are you going to be IT? You are at ITC, aren't you? I think yes. we'll discuss this with the team. Ninety one. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we, will, we will swing by, definitely. So, look, Roy, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, it's really kind of you to spend some time with us. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much.